Well, I want to welcome everybody today. Man, so good to be in God's presence together, isn't it? I just love worship. I love seeing baptisms. I just, there's just something when the body of Christ comes together. How many know he's in our midst? His presence is in our midst. And so it's just good to be in God's house together. Also want to take a moment to look into the camera, say a big hello to all those joining us online, along with all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry. We love you. We believe in you. God believes in you. He has a plan for you. So come on, Defiance. And we welcome our church family today. Love you guys. Awesome. Well, we are in week number three of our controversial Jesus series, and I want us to know today that about halfway through this past week, I felt like God wanted me to switch up what I was planning and preparing to, to preach on today. Just so you know, that always uh, throws you a little bit when what you were planning, all of a sudden you're readjusting. But I feel like God really wanted me to talk about what's happening in the world today, specifically the war in Israel, the spiritual implications, and what does that mean for Christians? What does that mean for those of us who are followers of Jesus? And so what I was planning and what I was preparing, I'm going to preach next week. But the title of the message today is Jesus, Israel, Hamas, and the end times. Now, I do want to put a quick disclaimer out there. Some of the content from today's message came from a couple pastors. First, Pastor uh, Greg Laurie, uh, whose name might sound familiar to you. His story was highlighted in the movie, The Jesus Revolution. And he actually just came through a two-month series on the end times. And so we're just going to scratch the service a little bit today. And then Pastor Mark Driscoll, who's just done an incredible job uh, explaining what is happening in the world today. And so with that said, you guys ready? Y'all ready to do it? Well, I think the best way to understand what's happening in our world today is to first understand the storyline of the Bible. Like, what does the Bible have to say about all of this? And so just, I just want to kind of walk us down memory lane just a little bit. You can kind of write these notes down and read these chapters of Scripture later. But uh, starting in Genesis chapter 12, uh, there was a man named Abram, and he comes from a pagan family. He has a pagan father. It tells us this in the book of Joshua. And God chooses Abram, he predestines him, and he calls Abram to leave his father and mother and go to a land that God would eventually show to him. Now, we need to understand that this land is extremely significant. Like this land is still in contention and being fought over these 4,000 years later. And so Abram does what God tells him to do. And so God honors his faith. God honors his obedience as he leaves his father and mother. And he goes to this land that God showed him. And then we, we jump to Genesis chapter 15. And God appears to Abram again and reveals something to him that theologians call the Abrahamic covenant. And in this covenant, God makes a series of promises to him. Now, something that's important for us to know is that this is an unconditional covenant, meaning that, that God will create the covenant and then he'll make sure that it's kept no matter what. Like how many of us know if God said it, it's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what man does. If God said it, it will 
happened. And so this is an unbreakable covenant because it's secured by the promises of God. But the Abrahamic covenant uh, in Genesis chapter 15, it consists of three main aspects, three main things that are absolutely vital, important for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus to know, not just because of what's happening in our world today, but because of what is happening in the world today. Are you with me? And so these are very important. I hope you're taking notes today. Uh, I put them as simplistic as I possibly could so that you could remember them for the rest of your life. And so write these down. The first aspect of this Abrahamic covenant is number one, the land. God promises a piece of real estate to the descendants of Abraham. This is also known as the promised land, right? The second aspect of this Abrahamic covenant is number two, is the lineage. So we have the land and the lineage that through Abraham or Abram, there would come a son. And from that son, there would come a nation of people. We know them as the Jewish people or the Israelites. So you have the land and then through that lineage and those people would come number three, the Lord. So you have the land, the lineage and the Lord that ultimately all of this was to prophetically pave the way to the coming of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, land, lineage, Lord. But we also need to understand that in that moment, when God spoke this covenant to Abram, there began a spiritual war that still exists to this very day. In fact, I want you to write this down. And that's simply this, that everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. Let me say it like this. Whatever God builds, Satan will try to break. And so this spiritual war that's been happening throughout history, it's over three things. It's over the land. Who's going to occupy this specific territory? I'll just spoiler alert. It's really about Jerusalem. You know, Israel is the promised land and it's really about Jerusalem. Who occupies and owns Jerusalem? It's about the lineage, which people have been chosen by God. And then ultimately, who is the Lord? Now, now, with that said, uh, as we read through the Bible, we hear a lot about this Abrahamic covenant and the land, like, like we already mentioned, known as the promised land. In fact, the Old Testament part of the Bible mentions the promised land over 2,000 times. The New Testament part of the Bible mentions the promised land over 700 times. This land is, is crucial to political history and prophetic history. Now, fast forward, we get to Genesis chapter 16, and this is when the wheels start to fall off just a little bit. Also, just, just so you know, we're not going to read it today, but in, in Genesis chapter 17, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he changes his wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, they're the same as Abram and Sarai. That happens in Genesis chapter 17. But back in Genesis chapter 16, Abram and his wife, Sarai, they struggled to believe the promises of God. In other words, God had promised to, to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that he would have a son. And out of that son, he would have a lineage. And out of that lineage would come the Lord Jesus Christ. But after a decade of trying to conceive a child, 
Abram and Sarai or Abraham and Sarah were unable to get pregnant. They were both elderly and Sarah was barren, which raises the question to me, what do you do when what God said is different from what you see? What do you do in your life when God gave you a promise? God spoke something to your heart, but as you look around, what you see is different from what God said. God told me I was going to be blessed, but as I look at my finances and my relationships and my circumstances, what I see is different from what God said. What, what do we do in these moments? I would propose to us that the enemy would love to offer us in these moments a counterfeit version of the real thing. And, and, and I, all too, too many times we do what Sarah ends up doing in the Bible and we take matters into our own hands. Anybody ever got tired of waiting on God so you just did it yourself? Every hand should be up. I know it's in your heart. Like, I don't, you already know, pastor, I do that, right? We've all, we've all taken matters into our own hands and, and not waited for God to move. And so Sarah does this in scripture in Genesis chapter 16. And she comes up with this, this plan for her husband, uh, Abraham, to take a second wife and have a son with that woman. Quick side note, husbands, uh, most of the time, fellas, it's a good idea to listen to your wife, except when she brings another woman home. Just if you were unclear about that, Abraham was. Abraham was, like, okay, it's a good idea. And so he ends up taking, a sec the Bible's just real. I'm just saying, like, this happens all the time in 2023. But Abraham takes a second wife whose name is Hagar, and she's an Egyptian unbeliever, and she ends up giving birth to a son named Ishmael. And let's take a look at what God prophesies about Ishmael and his descendants in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. Says, God says, this son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. This is important for us to understand the prophetic promises of Scripture. Ishmael goes on to have 12 sons, just like the tribes of Israel. Then about 12 to 13 years later, God fulfills his promise to Abraham and Sarah and miraculously supernaturally, Sarah gets pregnant and gives birth to a son named Isaac. And now you have Abraham who has two wives and two sons, but there's only one covenant. And so the question becomes, who gets the land? Who will be the blessed lineage? And from which side of the family will come the Lord? This leads, as you can imagine, this leads to a ton of division and conflict amongst the wives and the sons that we still see happening in our world today. But ultimately, God chooses Isaac, the son of Sarah, and God rejects Ishmael, the son of Hagar, to fulfill and receive the full promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Then you get to Genesis chapter 22. Anybody else loving just the stroll through memory lane of scripture? You get to Genesis chapter 22, and the Bible says that Abraham gets tested, that God tests Abraham. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
the son of the promise, this miracle child that, that would produce this chosen lineage and the Lord. And so they didn't know at the time, that, but this would uh, prophesy the coming of Jesus, the son of the living God. So at this time, uh, they, they, they got calls uh, Abraham to take Isaac up to the top of Mount Moriah. Now, a lot of times when we read this passage of scripture, we picture Isaac as being like this little boy, five, six, seven, at least I do. I just need to point out, Isaac was a grown man at this point, and, and Abraham was elderly. Abraham would have been around 100 years old, over 100 years old at this time, and Isaac would end up carrying the wood on his back to place uh, where he would willingly uh, lay himself down as a sacrifice to his father. All of this foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, who would carry the wood of the cross on his back and willingly lay down his life to fulfill the father's plan. Isaac lays his body down in surrender. Abraham takes the knife and he's prepared to slaughter his son. You can actually read, not in your notes, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, it tells us that Abraham believed God so much that he believed that God could raise his son from the dead. But how many of us know the resurrection was not for that son? The resurrection was for the son of God. And so at that moment, God stops Abraham from killing Isaac by sending an angel of the Lord, which many scholars believe would have been Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. And the angel tells Abraham to not sacrifice his son. You pass the test, Abraham. Your faith is strong. You are willing to give your, your first and your best. And so at that moment, Abraham sees a ram caught in the thicket, the Bible says, by his horns, and he goes over and takes the ram and sacrifices it to God. Now, later, the temple of God was built in that very same region. Later, Jesus, the son of the living God, came to that same region. Jesus came as the greater Isaac. Jesus carried the wood of the cross on his back. He laid down his life, and he was put to death for the, the sacrifice uh, and the sins of the world. Then 2,000 years later, a man named Muhammad was visited by, let's say, a demon. He said he received a revelation from an angel, but the truth is it was a demon. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 says this. It's getting a little controversial now. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Remember, everything that God creates, the enemy counterfeits. And Muhammad is visited by this fallen angel and this demon tells him that he needs to start prophesying and present to the world a new religion known as Islam. Now, according to Islam and Muhammad, the Hebrew scriptures, or we could say the Bible, is wrong. That God actually chose Hagar, not Sarah. And, and that the son of the, uh, the promise for the Abrahamic covenant is not Isaac, it's Ishmael. Muhammad takes the story of Genesis chapter 22 when Abraham and Isaac went to the top of Mount Moriah and Abraham's going to sacrifice Isaac, but he sees the, the ram caught in the thicket and Muhammad said, no, 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 that was not Isaac that went up to the top of the mountain. That was actually Ishmael. 
And it was Ishmael who laid down his life for his father. Islam takes the story of the Bible and twists it so that Sarah is rejected, Hagar is accepted, and Isaac is rejected, and Ishmael is accepted. And as a result, they say that the Abrahamic covenant belongs to the descendants, not of Isaac, but the descendants of Ishmael. That, they, that the Abrahamic covenant doesn't belong to the descendants of Isaac, which would be the Jewish people, the Israelites. No, they belong to the descendants of Ishmael, who the, are the Arabs and the Palestinians. Because of that, they say, no, no, this is our land. It should be our lineage, and we worship our Lord, not Jesus, but Allah. And so there has been a constant war over these three things. Are you seeing why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to understand this? These three things. Who owns the land? Which lineage is the actual inheritance of the covenant? And who ultimately is the Lord? We need to understand that this is a spiritual battle that has been happening and will continue to happen until Jesus returns. This is not a political war. This is biblical and it's deeply spiritual. What we witnessed a couple weeks ago was Hamas invading and attacking Israel. Hamas are Palestinians who are descendants of Ishmael. Israel or the Jews are descendants of Isaac. And this battle has been happening for over 4,000 years back until the days of Abraham. And I just want to remind us today, I'll show a little video of just what happened a couple weeks ago, just to remind us what is happening in this part of the world. The attack occurred on Saturday morning, which in Israel would have been the Sabbath. And so people would have been sleeping, their technology is turned off, and as a result, they're more vulnerable. Not only was it the Sabbath, but the Jewish people were just finishing celebrating a Jewish holiday known as the Feast of Tabernacles, where they're remembering God's provision and God's protection. This is one of the happiest weeks in, on the Jewish calendar. Like it would, be Thanksgiving, it would be like Thanksgiving or Christmas for us here in the United States. So people are traveling, they're spending time with their family, everyone is off work, it's a time of rest and relaxation. And during this time, there's a terrorist attack. During this attack, they're shouting Allah Akbar, which means God is great or our God is greater. This is a declaration that Allah is greater than Yahweh. Allah is greater than Jesus. And so as we, um, but as we unpack all this today, I, I, I want to be careful. I want to be sensitive and I want to remind us of Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. As we get into all these details, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have to remember this as we talk about the conflict, as we talk about the war, as we talk about the battle, our, our, our war, our struggle is not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Our fight is not against people. That Jesus even gave us this promise. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But what he goes on to say, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus also reminded us how to respond in Matthew chapter five, verse 44. 
Jesus said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is our response. But we're unpacking this today because we need to be informed. We need to understand. We need to understand the times that we are living in and what the truth of God's word is telling us. Are you with me, church? And so we know that more than 1,400 Israelis have died so far. I know that number might be changing because it could be changing in the hour because of the war that's happening. But along with 200 hostages have been taken captive. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has declared that Israel is at war for the first time in 50 years. Last time Israel was at war was the Yom Kippur War in 1973. You need to know that this is 50 years plus one day from the Yom Kippur War. And what's interesting, the Yom Kippur War was also started during a religious, a Jewish religious holiday. I just want to point this out, that this is no coincidence. And so what we're seeing in the news is Hamas launching a surprise air, land, and sea attack against cities across Israel. We see the Israeli military retaliate with heavy airstrikes into the Gaza Strip. That includes civilian buildings that Hamas uses to hide behind. Now, there are about 2 million people that live in the Gaza Strip, which makes it around the third most densely populated uh, area on the planet. So a lot of people in a very small area. I want to remind us, everyone involved are people that God knows and that God loves. God loves the people on both sides of the conflict, and they both need Jesus. In fact, only 2% of Jews and only 2% of Palestinians are Christians. And until Jesus is Lord of them both, they cannot be reconciled. And there will be no peace. And so the answer to all of this is ultimately that everyone would bend their knee to Jesus and that he would rule over them instead of them trying to rule over one another. Now we see that the Israeli army is, is preparing potentially for a ground invasion and so it's more than likely going to get worse before it gets better. And more than likely, it could go on for a while. But I do want to point out that this is a just war. That this was a terrorist attack, not, on, not a military attack. It was a terrorist attack, not a military attack, that was made on civilians, not on an army. Therefore, Israel's response is justified. Now, unfortunately, what the Hamas terrorist group has done is they've created a lose-lose situation for Israel. Like if Israel doesn't strike back, they lose because Hamas will just continue to attack. And then that will also encourage uh, the enemy, Israel's enemies, to do the same thing. Which, by the way, Israel is surrounded by enemies. They have enemies basically on every side of them. Which just, once again, reminds us of the, the miracle that God has done by first the, the, Israel, the Jewish people getting restored back to the land of, of Israel, I believe, in 1948, which is just miraculous. And then for them to be protected all these years with all their enemies uh, uh, surrounding them. But let me just, just name a few of the enemies that are around them. Iran, which I would, I would propose, in my opinion, that they are the mastermind behind this entire thing. It's very public news that they, they uh, give millions of dollars to the Hamas terrorist group. 
And uh, so how many know if you're funding the terrorist group to attack Israel, I believe they are the mastermind behind everything. But you have Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Yemen, Afghanistan, just to name a few enemies surrounding Israel. So not only is it lose-lose, like if you attack, uh, if you don't attack, you could, you could encourage your enemy to attack you. But then if Israel does respond, they have to attack civilian targets because Hamas uses civilians to hide behind, which is leading to protests that we're seeing around the world, including several college campuses and major cities right here in the United States who are pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas. Now, what they're, what they're protesting is that civilians are being targeted. And once again, this is a lose-lose situation for Israel because the way that Hamas works is uh, in the Gaza Strip is they know that they can't win a war against Israel. And so what they do is they hide in schools, they hide in hospitals, and they hide in mosques. They've built underground bunkers under schools, under hospitals, and under mosques. In fact, in fact, most people in that part of the world refer to, or they actually say there's two Gazas. There's the one you see above ground, and then there's the one you don't see underground. Therefore, if you send an airstrike, they've created this civilian shield to hide behind. And so if you don't attack them, they'll just keep on attacking you. But if you do attack them, the whole world cries injustice. And let me just give us an idea of what we're talking about today. Here's a picture of... The, of Gaza. And so Gaza is surrounded by Israel. The dark red border is, is a fortified and secure wall that surrounds Gaza. The Palestinians in Gaza, they, they can't just leave, right? Because of this wall. There, there's only two entrances and exits. There's, a, uh, there's an entrance to the north into Israel, and there's one entrance to the south into Egypt. And Israel has told civilians to go south, flee south, because they're going to, to bomb and take out those strategic terrorist uh, targets. The problem is Egypt to the south has closed their border, and so there's nowhere for these people to go. In fact, uh, Israel and the United States have put a lot of pressure, tried to been pressuring Egypt to open their borders, but to no avail. So to summarize, we know that there are terrorists in Gaza, we know that there are innocent civilians in Gaza, including a handful of Christians, and they can't leave. They're stuck there. And so when people start protesting, saying, man, this is unjust what's happening to civilians, I would absolutely agree. And I would say, Egypt, open your borders and allow these civilians to cross over and for Hamas to, to open the roads and stop using women and children as shields. Now, Hamas, just so we know, I've been asked, someone asked me, is Hamas a person? Is this a guy? Is there a picture of Hamas out there? No, Hamas is not a person. Hamas is a Palestinian acronym for the Islamic Resistance Movement. It's a terrorist organization. It's also, I think it's interesting, it's also a Hebrew word in the Bible, and it appears in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Let's take a look at it. These are the, 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 this is the story of Noah, and it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of Hamas, full of violence. Hamas is the Hebrew word for violent evil. Make no mistake about it, the spirit of Hamas is determined to destroy the Abrahamic covenant and take the land, the lineage, and redefine who the Lord is. 
Now, real quickly, back to uh, the story with Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. We know that there's obviously conflict in the home. Abraham is the father of two sons. There's only one covenant. And so which son uh, will be the son of the promise? Which, which son will inherit the promise of the covenant? There's conflict between the two wives. There's conflict between the sons. And let's take a look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 5. Sarai, or Sarah, says to Abraham, may the wrong done to me be on you. Fellas, this, this is, this is uh, code for your wife's not happy right now. Just so you know, if you were... You know, you, you, can you just feel the tone? Is it, anybody else's hair on the back of their neck standing up? Like, I've heard this before. Just seen this, said this to me before, I feel like. I gave my servant Hagar to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived Ishmael, she looked on me with contempt. Then Sarah makes this statement, may the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah invited Hagar into the home, and it was her idea for her husband to marry this Egyptian woman. And then after Hagar gives birth to the son Ishmael, she looked at Sarah with contempt. And so Sarah is basically telling Abraham, we messed up. We made a mistake. Which is, how many know, which is usually the case when we take matters into our own hands instead of waiting on God. She's realizing, man, I, I thought it was a good idea. It seemed good in the moment. How I many know that's what the counterfeit version of the real thing always does? It seems good in the moment. It feels like it meets this immediate need, but the damage it does when we don't trust God and do things his way actually can last generations. And that's what we're seeing in this story. And so the battle of Abraham's home is the battle in Abraham's homeland today. The Hamas spirit is against the Holy Spirit. How many know they cannot coexist? This is extremely spiritual, and it's not going to be solved by uh, political solutions. I mean, we pray for political peace. We, we pray for solutions. We, we pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for Palestinians. We pray for the people on both sides of the fight that they would all come to know Jesus. And so the question I want to kind of just end with today is what happens in the end? Where do we see things going? What does all of this mean? Because Islam and Christianity believe two very different things when it comes to how things end. Islam believes that it would eventually rule the entire earth, every single nation. That Islam has no separation of church and state. They rule through the Quran and Sharia law. Now, Christianity, on the other hand, gives people the choice to repent of their sin and receive Jesus as the Lord. Islam says, convert or die. And it rules through jihad. In fact, listen to, to what uh, the senior Hamas official said Islam is doing. He said, we believe in what our prophet Muhammad said. Allah drew the ends of the world near one another for my sake. And I have seen its eastern and western ends. The dominion of my nation would reach those ends that have been drawn near to me. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, no Israel, no Christianity, and no killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs in all the Arab countries in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries. 
what he is saying is that eventually Islam will rule the world. We will make sure there's only one religion. Everybody will follow the Quran and be under the Sharia law. We'll get rid of Israel. We'll get rid of the Jewish people and we'll get rid of Christianity. And once we do that, there will be peace. There will be no injustice and we will rule the world. This, I just want to remind us today, I know it's a little heavy, but this is a war between good versus evil. This isn't a, a left versus right. This is, this is good versus evil. And remember, it's a spiritual battle over the land. Come on, we're coming back here. The land occupying this specific territory, Jerusalem. It's a, it's a war over the lineage, which people have been chosen by God, and ultimately, who is the Lord? Which brings us to what the Bible prophesies and tells us will ultimately happen. And it's, it's controversial. We as Bible-believing Christians know that Jesus is coming back to take the land, to gather his people, and to rule as the King of kings and the Lord of lords over a kingdom that will never end. In fact, according to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives in Israel and he told his disciples that wars and famines and earthquakes would all be birthing pains, letting us know that the end was coming and his return was drawing near. Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 24, verses four through eight. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many, many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. The descendants of Ishmael, Islam claiming they own the land. They're the rightful lineage and that their God is greater and it will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Take heart for I have overcome the world. Such things must happen. Jesus goes on to say, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I find it interesting that no one's really talking about it, but there was a deadly earthquake in the Middle East on the very same day that Israel was attacked. I find that interesting. But Jesus is saying all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus goes on to say in, in, in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 24, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I know this is our call. This is the challenge that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Stand firm. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. I know I didn't Paul echo this. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. After you've done everything to stand firm, keep standing firm. One of the reasons why I'm bringing this to the, to the light that, that we would, maybe some of us have just kind of put it on cruise control. We've kind of lost our sense of urgency, not understanding there's a battle happening all around us. And I'm not just talking about Israel. There's a spiritual battle happening all around us. How many of the, the enemy wants to come for our kids? Wants to come for the next generation? Wants to break up marriages and, and rip our faith away that we turn away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So it's almost like Jesus is telling the disciples and he's telling the church, wake up church. There's a battle going on. 
Do everything you can to stand firm. Know the times. The Bible is coming to life right before our very eyes. Stand. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I mean, what we're seeing taking place in our world today is, is birthing pains. What happens when the end comes is the second coming of Jesus is coming back. It will be the end of the world. But for believers, how many know it's just the beginning? For those who don't know Jesus, it will be the worst day. But for those of us who know Jesus, it will be the best day. And as we watch all of this unfold, it's important for us to know that Jesus is above it all. And what's happening in Israel might have caught the world off guard, but how many know it didn't catch God off guard? In fact, there's over 2,500 prophecies in Scripture about the second coming of Jesus, and 2,000 of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. And the Bible tells us over and over that, that the only hope for humanity is Jesus, that we have to put our hope in Jesus. In fact, one of the most controversial things that Jesus said is found in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. One way. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The things happening in our world today, church, shouldn't discourage us, but instead encourage us because they all lead to the return of King Jesus. And we need to be ready. We need to make sure that we put our hope in Jesus and that we've confessed him as Lord and Savior of our lives and that we would continually pray and help others wake up and put their hope in Jesus. And this is a spiritual war. And Jesus is coming back to take the land. Come on, he's coming back to take the land, to gather his people, and to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords over a kingdom that will not end. And so I'll close with this question to all of us. And that is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you right with God? Are you living for him? Because as we see the Bible come to life right in front of our very eyes, how many know we want to be right with God? We want to be ready. And we want to be building his kingdom. Amen? Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're not caught off guard. We thank you that you sit on a throne all by yourself. We're comforted by the promise of our King, where Jesus told us we will have trouble in this world, but to take heart because he's overcome it. Father, I thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding that comes in a relationship with you. As we're praying together with every head bowed, every eye closed. Can we just pray this right where we're at? Say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond to the message today? What do you want to impart to me? What do you want to, me to take with me? I don't want to just be a hearer of your word, God. I want to be a doer of your word. And as we're all praying together today, 
I wanna ask you that question. Are you ready? Are you right with God? Because this is the day the Lord has made. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. If you don't have a relationship with God, even like we celebrated in baptisms, someone said, I knew God in my head, but I didn't know him in my heart. Maybe you walked with God at one point in time that you've drifted, and today it's time for every prodigal son and every prodigal daughter to come back home and start living the life that you were created and meant to live. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, if you need a relationship with Jesus to get right with God, would you lift your hand to heaven as a sign of surrender, acknowledging, I need you, God. If you're watching online, come on, lift your hand to heaven. Pray this with me right where you're at. Say, God, thank you for your love. Thank you that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Thank you that you have a plan and purpose for my life. Thank you that there are no accidents in your kingdom, that you're strategic. Thank you, God, for loving me and believing in me and sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Today, in this place, here's my life. God, forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for all I did today.